We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Tuesday, November the 23rd, 2021. Today's show, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath joins me just each and every single Tuesday to help break down South Carolina's big 21-17 win over the weekend over the Auburn Tigers, guys. We also look ahead to this weekend's matchup as the Gamecocks take on their arch-rival Clemson Saturday night under the lights at williams Bryce Stadium, guys. All that much more on a packed Tuesday show. And it's all brought to you by our friends, as always, at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, any moving needs you have over the holiday season, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group, of course. If you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. He does each and every single Tuesday. Former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath. Alex, of course, going to help us break down what was another magical night at williams Bryce Stadium on Saturday night as, believe it or not, Alex, the Gamecocks are officially bowl eligible in Shane Beamer's first season thanks to a 21-17 victory over Auburn. Of course, we're also going to look ahead to this weekend at Willie B as the arch rival comes down in a massive showdown in the palatable, but first things first, Alex, appreciate you taking the time as always, my friend. How was your weekend overall? I know we were talking a little bit off air. The age is starting to catch up with old former Gamecock <laughs> football player, Alex McGrath. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, we, we decided to go ahead and decorate for Christmas uh, on Saturday morning. And whilst moving a box, or I should say boxes, of tiles to a different part of the house, I, <laughs> as I was going to set them down, you know, the old, the old back slipped. A little bit, and uh, I'm walking around like I'm 79 years old right now, which is <laughs> just—it's just the best. So it's I think the, the I think the bigger news of this though is that confirmed based on your story, Alex McGrath and the McGrath household is a put the Christmas tree decorations up before Thanksgiving household. I'm not going to be smeared with this. I was a staunch. <laughs> I was a staunch. It has to be after Thanksgiving, guy. <laughs> But it's it's like the kids, like anybody that's listening that has young kids knows like what Christmas is to young kids. And so I've kind of lost my will on that one a little bit, uh, perhaps softened, who could say. And, you know, now now we do it a little bit earlier. But okay, uh, up enough. until I like up until like three years ago, I was that guy. So I, I can't. I won't yeah, be besmirched in that way. I was about to say, I, I'm sorry for, 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 for trudging the great McGrath name through the mud with such a serious accusation. Because, you know, some people are like diehard. Like, I mean, they're throwing up Christmas decorations like first week of November. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. I, I'm, 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 a, I'm content. I love Christmas. I'm content waiting until after Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm content. I'm content. You know, I, I just, 
give Thanksgiving its just due. Yep. You know, I feel like December first. That's when you can kind of. That's when it really, really gets going. Uh, you know. It's, so. I mean, they've been they've been playing Christmas music on the radio since like October right, right. 10th. So well, I mean, I mean yeah, there's it. there's been Christmas stuff in stores since like before Halloween. So I mean, yeah, no respect for the holidays, man. No respect None. for each and None whatsoever. Holiday. None at all. <laughs> well, of course, we're not talking the holiday season out. We are talking football here on this mo- or this Monday on this Tuesday, if you will. But again, another great day to have a day. I mean, what a game, what a night. Yours truly, of course, was in the building. But the Gamecocks get the big 21-17 to victory over the Auburn Tigers and, and more importantly, punch their ticket to bowl eligibility in Shane Beamer's first season. You know, Alex, it's crazy. We have sat here many a days doing this show, feeling all types of different ways after certain games. I'm not sure either of us thought we would make it to this point. And I'll ask you and just get your overall takeaways. To be bowl eligible, how good does it feel to, especially going in the last game of the season, already have that locked up? What were your emotions on Saturday night? Again, watching that and then, you know, everything that followed. I mean, just, just with the emotions from Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks are going to a bowl game in his first year after, you know, really a year ago to the date, you and I were talking during a coaching search and now the Gamecocks are bowl bound. It feels good, doesn't it? Incredible. Like it, it just it. And this is probably this is probably unfair, but like you know, when we hired Muschamp, like, like I it, like I know I've seen a lot of people talking about like you know the, the, the Texas A&M game or maybe the Tennessee game. Like I've never felt worse about the state of the program. I was never in that boat because I never really felt worse about the state of the program than the day that we brought him in, because it's just like, I this is not where we need to go. This is not what's going to work. This is not going to go in our direction, which of course it didn't. And then, you know, that day a year ago when you and I were talking, like, honestly, like that was the best I felt about the program since 2016. And now like you flash forward a year from there, and we're sitting here at six and five with one game to go in Shane Beamer's first year, bowl eligible. We've beaten Florida, Auburn. Obviously, we got mauled by Tennessee and Texas A&M. You know, you're going to take your lumps in that first season. But I think everybody objectively can be proud of the direction of the program and where it's gone to. Like, you know, because we talked for a long time, like the number one thing you want to see out of all of this coming out of a two and eight season that was preceded by a four and eight season, you want to see improvement. And I think unquestionably since the bye week that we've seen that improvement and that has got, at least to me, that's the most profound thing I've seen this season. And and I've been the guy Alex all season, just pumping perspective and and, and harping on perspective and having that. And I really do again, hope people are able to you know it's it's fun we've been picking it you know of course yours truly been picking it mike bobo picking it auburn and talking our junk this wow. week but i hope people can just really on a serious note take a moment to have real perspective in regards to what shane beamer has done and the job he's single-handedly done and also those players buying into him if you will um you know you're talking about a program like you said won two games last year for the year prior so you'd won six combined games the last two seasons and so for shane beamer to like I said, you can look at this season glass half full and glass half empty. You can look at it as, oh, we backed our way into some wins and we just we found a way to eke out games against ECU and Vanderbilt and Troy. And listen, don't get me wrong, it was ugly at times. It made us want to pull our hair out at times. Most certainly, you and I lived through it. We all have. But you found a way to win. And Shane Beamer has found a way to keep this team together, keep this team believing. I mean, this thing could have easily gone sideways after you got, like you said, absolutely embarrassed at Texas A&M. But kudos to Shane Beamer, that coaching staff, that entire football team, that program as a whole for continuing to believe, buy in. Again, when you really have perspective, again, if I told anyone before the season, South Carolina is going to be 6-5 and five going into the rivalry matchup and you're going to have wins over Florida and Auburn, nobody, nobody would have been anything other than thrilled at that oh, first yeah. result. Of course, like those are two teams that you don't you like. Would would we play Auburn for eighty seven years without beating them? Right, or and something now we, ridiculous? Now we beat them back to back seasons. Yeah, that yeah, that doesn't make a lick of sense. But that's neither here nor there. And then you know, you like you beat you just steamroll Florida, and I don't know. I, it's just like after that bye week, and I, look, we can all point to the Missouri game. Like we talked about the Missouri game ad nauseum last week. It was just 
rife with turnovers that we didn't need to make. And that's how you end up on the wrong side of that one. But you kind of take that from the bye week forward and, you know, Zaquandre White has emerged as a huge weapon that is somebody that we can ride going forward for the next two games. And it's just like you kind of look at all these things coming together and just the belief and just the confidence that they have now as a team winning those two games, rolling into your rivalry game, already having the the bowl game secure. You know, all bets are off now. Like, we've we've achieved the goal that we were supposed to achieve before the season began, and now we got one left in the chamber that we can just absolutely go nuts with, and that's huge. Yeah, and I want to get into, Alex, a little bit later, more into the, the impact of going to a bowl game and what it means to be bowl-eligible in Chambers first season. But let's talk about, you know, the, the, the nuts and bolts of what happened on Saturday night. Again, Gamecocks get the 21-17 to 17 victory, but things did, did not start out on a very positive note. Uh, the Gamecocks fall down 14 nothing. Uh, I would love to hear your, your thoughts as you're watching that. Did, did, you, did you – were you concerned that it was going to slip away from South Carolina? I, I know my only thought, I think, after the first quarter was – okay, it's fire Greg Atkins. Greg Atkins has single-handedly done his best to ruin my football experience this year. Um, I guess we shouldn't be surprised at this point, right, though, that two things happen. Number one, Auburn gave up a lead because they've been good at that this year. And number two, this football team continued to fight, scratch, and claw and was resilient and found a way to make a comeback. But it was a little uneasy feelings after the first quarter, if we're being totally honest. Why? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I guess with the points I made, you're, you're probably you right. Say, why? Why would you think concerned at all? We were only down 14 to nothing and had a horrific <laughs> turnover. We got them right um, where we want them. We got them right where, right we, where want. we want them. That's it. That's it. That's exactly where we don't We don't start playing until we're down 14. Anyway, um, you know, like honestly, like watching the first portions of that game, like the, the, ball, the ball that got picked off, like we were moving the ball pretty well on them on that drive and then through – you know, a very unfortunate interception. So, like, to me watching, I was like, okay, well, if you can get a stop here and you can get a score, now you're halved. Mm-hmm. And then it's like now you're kind of back into this game. So when we threw the touchdown pass, I felt a lot better about it because it's now it's kind of more on even footing. <laughs> and then shout out Mike Bobo for making – I wanted to get what? into that. I wanted to get in that, Alex. We we have because what I think is interesting, not to cut you off, but you lead into the point I wanted to make. We have spent so much time together talking about bad play calls and baffling decisions. And I'm not just talking about this season. I'm talking about far before this year. We've spent met much more time than one should. We've spent more time than one should talking about bad play calls and baffling decisions. That has to rank up there as one of the most absurd, baffling, nonsensical decisions ever made at your own, what, 30-yard line on fourth and one, and you have a running back that's averaged seven yards per carry. He hasn't had, I think, a negative rush all night, and you run a play-action 25-yard pass down the field, an extremely low-percentage play. And that, you know, obviously completely shifted the momentum of the game. You sitting there watching that happening in real time. I mean, could you believe what you were witnessing? No, no, not at all. Like, (laughs) I I really couldn't. Like, honestly, like, I felt (laughs) like it makes, like, the Jordan Birch halfback pass look brilliant by comparison. Like, Tank, Tank Bigsby wasn't even on the field. Like, what were they talking about on the headset? Oh, we definitely got him here. <laughs> what are you doing? And I would also say, kind of in, in retrospect to that, like had you know the the play that we scored on the it was first touchdown, which was obviously a fourth down, the pass to Quandre White. Like it, it, under the previous regime, there's no chance we don't kick a field goal right there, and that is so refreshing to see mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I I don't know if there's been an explanation since from Harson or whoever about that that, that play call, but. I, I'd love to know as well. Like, what is the conversation? Because, again, it's, it's just like nothing about – like, I don't even think Coach Spurrier is, is, is doing that. Like, that was no. insane. That was well, – ins- Well, no, you didn't – you wouldn't have seen it because you were at the game. But, like, the ESPN cameras, like, didn't leave Tank Bigsby's face for, like, 45 seconds after that play was over. 
that man was not pleased at all with what occurred on that field. The, the only way to really explain it is that karma is still very real. And Mike Bobo got exactly what he deserved for, mm-hmm. for some reason, the, that thought in his brain thinking to himself, this is a good idea. Like I said, it really makes the Burt's halfback pass just look like the best play call in the history of college football. I mean, you know, I, and that's the funny thing. I didn't even think about this. I tweeted this early in the season, and now I'm going to have to go clip it because I honestly probably owe Marcus Satterfield an apology because I tweeted when that happened, this is it. This is the worst play call in the history of college football. I now stand corrected because that was the worst play call in the history of college football. It was not. That was, I mean, especially like on your side of the field, like you need something (laughs) that's high percentage. Bro, that that was comical. And and then, of course, like you said, we've talked about play calls, bad play calls, baffling decisions. And, of course, Alex, you know, we've been critical. And and I'm game, hey, be critical of those who are getting paid to make decisions and and put players in the best possible position to be successful. That's fine. But be able to have it within yourself to, in my opinion, keep the same energy and tip your cap when a job is well done. And I'm not sitting here saying that, we should we should give Marcus Satterfield a trophy, but that fourth down call and that hat that fullback pass, some pretty damn good play calls in that ball game, in my opinion. Oh yeah, for sure. And we talked about this last week. It's it, you know watching since our off week, like the plays have been there. It's just like you've missed on some execution stuff. So you know, obviously, we saw that again this past weekend we saw it in florida like we racked up you know yards on missouri later in the game and you know we just missed some throws there at the beginning so you know are we starting to see that kind of gel and come together towards the end of the season i mean obviously we'll get a really good look at that saturday and then an even better look at that in the bowl game but it seems like that's trending in the right direction now do you still have to like you know is that justify not making a change For the O-line coach, I don't know. We'll see what happens in the next two games. But, you know, certainly it looks like that's gotten better. Mm. Yeah. You you mentioned Jaquan J. White earlier, and I I definitely want to heap praise on him. I I say give him the damn keys to the city, man. The the way he's run the ball (laughs) in the passing game. I mean, dude, this dude, again, I've been very hesitant to compare him to a guy like Corey Boy because Corey is such a legend. But he runs that way, man. He runs with that bad attitude. Like, he – seeks out content he or contact he wants to punish people by far the best running back in my opinion on a roster i don't know how you don't give him the bulk of the carries moving forward i don't either i mean he probably should have been getting the bulk of the carries the whole time i mean it's, now it's wild to think he didn't, in- he didn't play for like a three-week span it's insane so that which which makes me wonder if there's some like internal workings mm-hmm. that we're unaware of there you know, absent that, of course, I have no explanation whatsoever for why you wouldn't have been giving him the ball more than you have been. But, you know, I mean, he's just, he's playing his butt off and he's having a ton of success. So, I mean, you just got to keep riding that, you know, despite maybe that means keeping Kevin Harris on the sideline. Mm. You know, you ride the hot hand until you can't anymore. Yeah, because people were asking me about Marshawn Lloyd and where is he at? Where, he, where is he at? I'm just like you said, ride the hot hand, man. You got to go with the guy that's producing and giving you the yard. And he provided a spark. I mean, no doubt he provided a, a spark for this football team. Uh, offensively, man, Jason Brown, anything, any big takeaways from there? I mean, I know he had the bad pick early, but you look at his stat line. It looks pretty good. Uh, 10 for He's 15. Very yeah, very efficient. 10 for 15, 157, three touchdowns and a pick. He was also sacked four times. So he did a lot of that while under some some pretty uh, steady pressure. I mean, any any – any big takeaways? I think the recipe for success offensively is pretty clear-cut at this point in regards to the Gamecocks need to be able to run the football. Don't ask him to do anything crazy. And I think if you do that, you know, I feel like you saw it again on Saturday. Dude, when we, when we can run the ball, this offense just it's, – it's amazing how much better we look offensive. We can run the football. Everybody, everything looks better, and that includes Jason Brown. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you had the bad interception to start with. And so, I, I mean, I, you know, that may feed into, you know, what we saw against Missouri too, where it's just like, you know, we've got to have something that's super well balanced to make this work. And so that is just kind of the hand you're dealt at this point, you know, you, you've, you know, you lost the grad, you, well, I mean, you didn't lose the graduate system, but graduate system gets hurt. 
Luke Doty, your presumptive starter, gets hurt. Now you're just kind of like, all right, so you're on third team. And that doesn't mean he's a bad player or he can't do the same things that those other two guys can do. But you got to tailor your approach to fit what he does best. And if that is being put, you got to put him in situations where he's comfortable making the reads and throws. And to me, that seems more aligned with what he can do when you have a balanced attack instead of going out there and trying to throw the ball 40 times to win. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I, you know, I, I think, again, that's a good recipe for success, and I, it's obviously worked for you um, in those past two. Let, let's talk defensively, Alex. You, you know, again, we spend all the time talking offense and, and the shortcomings or what they're doing, whatever, the run game, passing, everything else. But, again, give Clayton White a blank check and, and, and let him just write the number down. Because <laughs> when you really, again, you keep perspective. The, the, the job he has done and the defensive staff has done we're talking about a defense that gave up 159 points over a three-game span last year. And now you're literally riding your defense to victory in a game against Auburn and other games as well throughout this season. I mean, I just don't think you can overstate the job well done that Clayton White and his staff have done. And again, you just came up with stop after stop after stop. Wasn't perfect. Wasn't perfect. Tank Bigsby got his, which I expected, but you didn't have to get the win. And isn't it funny, Alex? how much better the defense looked against T.J. Finley with a defensive coordinator and a defensive game plan that they executed on and just a coordinator that knew what the hell he was doing calling plays against that guy. Just stunning, wasn't it? I mean, mean, what else can you say about the defense? I mean, it's it's a very undermanned unit that has really good talent on the front line of it that just keeps producing and keeps coming up with – turnovers and stops that you need except for that fourth and 16 which i think we all like if you asked anybody internally like do you think they get this i think everybody in the stadium would have said yeah they're probably going to get this yeah, that, um, that was a tough look that was a tough look i would admit but, but we all knew it was coming so i mean it wasn't like shocking by any stretch of the imagination but you know like i don't, I don't know it's you're right just give them a blank check and tell them to write a number down hmm. because imagine imagine if you get some depth behind all this then what are you looking at? It, it's in, it's incredible, man. I mean, it, it's it's really true. Like I said, we love to talk offense, and that's the fun part of the game, and that's the entertaining part, right, scoring a bunch of points. But I, I expected there to be improvement on the defensive side because it's like how how could you get any worse from last year? But this improvement, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond words. I mean, it's really beyond words, the job they've done this year. And I, I – it's it's crazy to think that maybe, maybe it is scheme. I guess it is just scheme. I mean, I I don't think you're more talented than you were last year. But you know, as as I I cite this conversation a lot, as Perry Orr told me when Shane Beamer was hired, you know, you can do a lot more with a lot less when a bunch of guys believe and buy in. And I think that's been true immensely on the defensive side. No, yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think it's honestly kind of a similar conversation that we've been having this entire year about like. Are our run schemes too complicated? And like, so you kind of look back on that and you think, like, all right, who was in charge of that stuff? And, you know, defensive back guru or not, you know, the, like that's a position he played at a high level. So is he making those calls and reads? Is that, is there too much movement? Is there too much stuff going on back there? Is there too much for them to think about? And that hinders your execution of it. It's like you come in and you simplify that down. All of a sudden, everybody knows where they're going. They have confidence in where they're supposed to be and what they're looking for. Boom, you're off and running. Now, on that note, Alex, because, again, you know, when you talk about this game, we can talk statistics. We can talk rushing yards, passing yards, time of possession, penalties, all, all, all those good things. And, of course, those are what, you know, lead to victory or defeat. But the biggest takeaway from Saturday night is, is the heart and the mental toughness and – you know, again, we talk about Shane Beamer, him building his program. This year was all about laying the foundation and establishing the culture. And I know I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record because I said this after the Florida game, but you simply don't win a game like you won on Saturday night if you do not have outstanding culture behind closed doors. Again, are things perfect? No, they're not. Are, are things still being changed and built? Are the things that still, I think, have to be fixed and improved? Absolutely. But – Culture shined through yet again, I think. And again, we have seen this team, and it's not nearly, Alex, as you know, it's not nearly as fun to talk about when, you know, you're losing and people are saying, well, the players love each other and they, they keep fighting and they never quit. And you're like, oh, my God, like that's the last thing I want to hear right now. But 
you saw that yet again. I mean, you go down 14 to nothing. You just had a miserable loss to Missouri. You know, I know a lot of fans were, oh, my God, doom and gloom. Here we go. Let's just pack it up. And this team did exactly the opposite. They continued to fight. They continued to scratch and claw. And, again, you saw that raw emotion from the players and Shane Beamer and how much this meant to him and what getting to a bowl game meant. Um, it, it, it comes down to heart and mental toughness and want to and belief. And we saw that yet again on Saturday night. 100%. Like, <laughs> that's been evident the entire season. Well, you know, certainly the last three weeks. I mean, you look at Missouri, you're down 17, and you claw your way all the way. You claw your way back into that four and a half minutes ago, you're down three. You put yourself in a chance to win again. And, like, that stuff's just gotten better and better and better. I mean, you could see it, like, you know, they never quit against Georgia, didn't quit against A&M, didn't quit against Tennessee. Like, that heart and that drive and that, you know, culture is probably an overused word, but that, like, culture that's being built – beneath all of this is why we are where we are right now it's all those guys working together for a common goal to get this over the hump and lay that foundation and that's what you're seeing and that's a and that's a dangerous team to have on the other side of the field yeah alex i I want to move to that point again the gamecocks are sitting bowl eligible now You, you notch that sixth win with one more to go and of course we're going to look at this game this weekend of course but but i really want to bring attention to South Carolina, because it's so funny how, again, it's such a week-to-week game. And the perspective from the national analysts, by the way, because most national analysts pick South Carolina to go three and nine, four and eight, that there wasn't much hope or optimism or positive feelings around Gamecocks football this season. And now I'm starting to see people saying, oh, man, Shane Beamer's moving up there for possibly SEC coach of the year. Like, it's just funny how quickly the narrative changes. But when you take a step back, and again, you look at it, Getting to bowl eligibility in Shane Beamer's first year. I, I know we had high hopes, not as we also understood the challenge that was in climbing that mountain, if you want. And, and I don't want to overemphasize how important it is to get, get to six wins, but I saw it phrased beautifully just a couple of days ago after the game when somebody said, you know, in 2011, 12, 13, when Coach Spurrier was here, getting to six wins, maybe that wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But again, that word, perspective. When you realize what this program has endured and been through and really overcome to get to this point, it means a lot. Again, when you sit back and you think of, I guess, the journey over the last year, and now we sit here and the Gamecocks are bowl eligible. I mean, again, what what are the emotions that run through you? What runs through your mind and just how important that is getting that sixth win and locking up postseason play in that first season? I mean, honestly, I think the best thing I could say is it makes Saturdays fun again. There's that joy that you were kind of like almost deprived of for the last two years where you got a four and eight squad, you got a two and eight squad. And now like you, you got this thing back on track to where like it's fun to th- like, like when was the last time like you went into like a Clemson game? You're like, oh, we could win this. Like when, when was the last? I mean, like what, 20? I would say 2014. 15? I'd probably say 2014. Yeah. Yeah. So that's seven years ago. And we're sitting here today, bowl eligible after beating Auburn at home. And like, there's a realistic chance where like we could go in and beat Clemson this weekend. And like, it's that joy that's come back to it that I think is the most undersold part of this. It's that it's fun again, that there's something to look forward to that there's something being built that you can get behind that you know there's a very very likable force at the top of this food chain that is moving you know a program that we love in the right direction and I think just the waking up on Saturdays like excited to watch the game again is it's well thank you just thank you to coach Beamer yeah, no, I, I feel exactly the same way, man, and I echoed a lot of what you said after the game. And now it's funny you say that because, you know, thinking back, I mean, it used to be very depressing conversations with close mm-hmm. friends of mine. Even you and I, we do the show. I mean, it, it, was, it was very saddening, <laughs> depressing conversations, and it just feels good to feel good again. It feels good. Hey, Game days at Willie B are fun again. The Gamecocks are 5-1 and one at home this year. You know, again, yeah. has it always been pretty? No, but 
South Carolina's five and one at home again. Like it, it feels good to have a reason to look forward to Saturdays again. When you really boil it down to it, I think you just you word it beautifully. I, I mean, it's the best way you can put it. We're actually excited again. The fan base has hope again. It's it's a beautiful thing, man. And I, I'll tell you, Sunday afternoon and all day Sunday, seeing the joy across social media at least from Gamecock fans, just a thing of beauty, an absolute thing of beauty, and just could not be happier for Gamecock Nation. It's awesome. I mean, it's just you, you, you feel you you know you kind of feel like you did like at the, at the start of the Spurrier days, right? It's like, hey, you know, you come off, you know, especially where like Spurrier was, like you come off the um, the brawl in a five and seven season, you kind of turn that corner the first year, you're seven and five. And then you go past that to the second year. And then all of a sudden you're uh, eight and five. And you think like, okay, we've got this thing going in the right direction. Sky's going to be the limit here. We've got a legend on the sidelines. Then it kind of peters out for a little bit. And then boom, you hit that huge upward multiple expansion. And then you're beating Clemson five years in a row. You're winning 11 games, all that stuff. And it's just like, you can kind of feel like and you know i may look back on this comment in three years and be like wow that was stupid but you know at the same time like i kind of had that same feeling like it's like hey something's building here and you know whether the offensive coordinator or the offensive line coach are the same pieces that are going to be in place three years from today or whether that's even the right thing who could say but like foundationally it feels like something's shifting and it's starting to move in that direction and, you know, even if you lose this weekend, you know, you've still got a bowl game to look forward to. You've got the extra practices to look forward to. And it's just like you you got back to that reasonable expectation to for postseason play. So it's just like how it's, – it's exciting to think about where this could go, where the last five years that has never even entered my mind. And you mentioned, again, Alex, the bowl game and the practices. And I want to move into that actually on the field because, again, you're someone – you were part of football teams at South Carolina that obviously went to bowl games. I'd love for you, again, to shed some light for the fan base on the – I mean, obviously, again, it's great for fans. It's great for players getting the reward of a bowl game. And it's great for the fan base. And we feel all great today and everything. But the positive impact going to a bowl game has on your football team, on your program – getting those extra practices. Basically, you hear coaches say it, you basically get another spring practice. Getting the yeah. practices, another opportunity to compete. Why is that such a big deal for a football team to get to postseason play and get all that extra work in? You mean other than the coaching bonuses? Yeah, Shane Beamer, <laughs> shout out, did get 100 grand for making a bowl game. So, hey, well earned. Earned every penny. Earned every penny. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um you know, like, honestly, it's like, I know, like, especially with like the playoff that's come in, everybody's like, well, I don't know why we're playing these extra bowl games. Like, what is this T six and six team doing over here? Like, it, it's a reward for the players more so than just like an anonymous product that gets placed on ESPN mid-December for, you know, us, the viewing public. You know, it's, it's getting to go to a different location with your teammates, practice somewhere else, play against somebody you don't normally get to play against you know, get to experience, you know, a new city somewhere and new things to do in that city. In addition to like the, all the accoutrement that comes with the bowl game, you know, like all the gear that you get with it. So, I mean, for like on the player side, it's, it's a cool reward of getting to do something you otherwise wouldn't ever get to do. And then from a, you know, a practice standpoint, you're right. You do, you get another spring practice. I mean, you get uh, like what, 21 mm. practices that you can use. So, I mean, that's huge for development and cohesion, especially for the guys that are coming back. And, you know, to echo Coach Spurrier's comments on this, you have the opportunity to go out of the season a champion of something. And that is huge from a confidence and laying a foundation standpoint. You get to hoist If you can hoist a trophy at the end of the season, no matter what, that gives you a leg up going into the following season. Yeah, I remember Coach Spurrier talking about that, how it's just how, how much more fun and, you know, the positivity surrounding, you know, off-season workouts and spring ball and the summer. And, you know, it's, it's when you win a bowl game, it's just, you know, again, you have something positive to cling to that the way you're seeing it. By the way, just on a quick side note, I don't want to give it too much attention, but you mentioned bowl season and the bowl games. How miserable of a human being do you have to be to complain about bowl games? 
Can, can we just throw that out there? I, I mean, I've literally even seen people say, well, if you're six and six, we, we should decline a bowl invite. Because I'm like, that is the most Looney Tunes, wacky, absurd, doom and gloom, misery take I've ever seen. Like, why would you, number one, football is awesome to watch. I could just end it there. But number two, again, like you mentioned, it's a reward for the players. And anybody who's trying to debate and say, well, you know, we didn't really do anything. It's like after the last two seasons, bro, our players deserve to enjoy this, enjoy the experience. I mean, again, I know it's not a lot of people, Alex, but I don't know if you've ever heard. I would like to think you and I are probably not friends or associates with anyone who would make such an absurd claim that, well, we just, we have too many bowl games and we need to, it's like, dude, shut up. Like, just shut up. That's the best. Just shut up. It's so yeah, stupid. No. Well, I mean, it's just, it's it's an absurd argument. It's a, it's a game, Alex. It's a game and their kids. Like, for the love of God. Like, yeah, you know, it, like, it's, it's, we, we don't have to, well, if you don't go undefeated, you didn't do anything that year. It's like, bro, stop. Just stop it. You know what I mean? Like, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. They're children. This is for them. Like, this is like an experience they get to go do. It's not. Like, I'm sorry, like, your viewing lineup on Wednesday, December 12th isn't what you wanted it to be. Yeah. Anyway, since I'm fired up, let's get off that note. And, of course, maybe the reason I'm fired up, it is rivalry week. Gamecocks, Clemson, Saturday night at Williams-Brice Stadium. Before we move into this game, actually, on the field on Saturday, Alex, of course, I want to look back right there in your office. You have the picture from the 2006 game when you guys took on the Tigers, and I believe you were on special teams when Ryan Suckup was kicking. And, of course, we all know the story with that game, and I want to get – there you go. There it is. I want to get <laughs> I want to get in that game specifically in a second. But just for you, being a South Carolina football player, you get on campus, and I, and I know Coach Spurrier did his best, and he really did a great job of it, of de-emphasizing the game in regards to, hey, our goal is to win the SEC. We can do that. We're, you know, that's going to take care of itself. But how much do you hear the noise around the rivalry as a Carolina football player? And I guess what was that experience like? Again, you knew being an in-state guy how big it was, but actually being on the team. I, I know people have said, former players have told me it's bigger for fans than it is players, but I feel like you know no matter what side you're on, you know as a player, like, this game is a very, very big deal to a lot of people. It is, and I would echo those sentiments. Like, I would tell you, like, it's not focused on any more in a meeting room than it is any other week of the season. In fact, you know, I would probably tell you, like, most of the SEC games mm. get, or at least they did with Coach Furrier, get a lot more attention because that was the goal, right? It was the goal was to, like, win the East and get to the SEC championship, you know, we can beat Clemson fantastic, but that doesn't need to be like the priority of our season. So I'd like, you know, playing under him probably de-emphasized that a touch. Um, but I mean, it's just, it's a, it, it was more looked at as like a, just a kind of a cherry on top, right? Like let's knock these goals out first. You get those done. Or if you don't get those done, all right, now like this is what you're playing for. And so, you know, certainly that, that pressure exists just because of the size and scope of it. But from an emphasis standpoint, at least when I was there, it wasn't something that was like emphasized more than the other games were, I would say. Um, but, you know, being a player and like getting to play in those games was, you know, it's special. It's, it's a big rivalry game and it's fun. And it's, you know, the banter that goes back and forth, you know, because it, like, you know, I knew a lot of guys that played on the Clemson team. Clemson teams. And, you know, it was just, it was fun, spirited banter when you go back for, Thanksgiving and Christmas and kind of all the, you know, extracurricular events that happen around that and like a social setting. But, you know, from an internal standpoint, it wasn't any different. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, Alex, the one that stands out for you, the 2006 game. And like I said, you have the picture there in your office and uh, people forget about Ryan Suckup and the good game he had in that one, but a, a crazy back and forth game. You know, I've had Nathan Pepper on the show and he's talked about, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the fumble that he had at the end of the half and stuff like that. And of course, Mike Davis, the OG Mike Davis with the great game he had and Blake Mitchell and Sidney Rice and, you know, had Tommy Beecher on the show talking about his, his one play in the game and just so many memorable things. And of course, who can forget Jad Dean hooking the kick. Gamecocks get the win. And that that was really – that was one of those big early early Spurrier tenure victories that sort of lets you know, hey, things are changing. And I, I know it didn't necessarily go our way in 07 and 08, but you felt like, okay, you got that Clemson monkey off your back, and that was a huge, huge win early in his tenure up there at their place. And one of my favorite yep. calls, by the way, of all time by Todd Ellis with the Death Valley is silent 
call, and it was. You could have heard a pin drop. But your favorite memories from that game, again, obviously you were on the field on special teams when Ryan Suckup was making all those field goals. But uh, just just memories from that one. Again, I, I know there's nothing sweeter as a Gamecock small player. If you're not going to win the SEC East and win the SEC, beating Clemson's got to rank up there as one of your favorite memories, if not your favorite wearing the guard. Oh, that's, that's, that's third on the list for sure. Um <laughs> Like, uh, you know, okay, just a couple, you know, interesting tidbits. Uh, CJ Spiller had a really, really long touchdown run, I think, mm-hmm. to like to start that game. And that was, I would tell, I would tell anybody, like, that's the only place I've ever been where I felt the ground shake. Like, that place was just going bonkers. Um, obviously, like that field goal getting hooked and that feeling of watching it sail outside the uprights was incredible. But I would tell you, probably like the coolest thing in that game. You know, and as much as, like, you know, as much as, like, social media trolls will kill Clemson for, like, they rush the field every game because they let their fans out there. Like, one of the coolest parts of that was, like, celebrating down on the team, on the field with the team. And then, like, my sister comes running out of the stands and comes and gives me a hug. And my mom's down there. And just, like, seeing that after that win was really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, who can forget the Blake Mitchell picture where he's got his he's got his arms raised up and it, it gave me Steve Tannehill vibes and I'm like yeah that's yeah. the rush the rush the field thing is is really awesome when you're the road team and you yes win. it is it, it yes, is it very is. very fun um, but no an incredible game man certainly a a, a game that uh, stands out in a long storied rivalry and all the great games that we have but again. The reality stands right now. I think it's great for South Carolina. You've already notched that sixth win. You, you've reached bowl eligibility, so you don't have that pressure, quote-unquote, if you will, going in this ball game. But the Gamecocks and Shane Reserve season are looking for a way to reverse the trend that has been. Clemson obviously has had the better of you. Like you mentioned, this is your, at least for me, I look at it, this is the most winnable opportunity you've had in this game since 2014, I would say. Um, when you look at this game, out, because I see it from a couple of different scopes, you could argue all the pressure is on Clemson, right? And the intriguing thing about this game is this. For both sides, and I, and I will say this, I think that this has been lessened for the South Carolina side because you have gotten that sixth win. And I say the season's a success no matter what happens in this game. Again, you have reached bowl eligibility. And again, please don't lose perspective. Getting to a bowl game in Chambers first year is a massive W. But we still can't take away how huge this game is for the psyche of both sides. And that's the interesting thing is that for both these teams, both these programs, both these fan bases, a lot of the way the fan bases at least deem success for the 2021 season, it's going to come down to Saturday. Did you beat the arch rival, right? Because neither one's playing for a conference title, which feels so good to say. Uh, Neither one's even ranked, which dude, I think it's been like since 2007 or 2008, since neither was ranked going in the game. But who would you say has more pressure in this ballgame? Because on oh, one hand, sorry. you see, here's the only argument I have. I almost look at this, I, I don't want to use the phrase must win, but it feels like to me you have to take advantage of Clemson this year. Like, you know, maybe the dynasty's over and they're they're gonna be, you know, they're gonna fall off next year and the year after, and they're gonna go back to being what they were in a Tommy Bowden and being just a six and six program. But on the flip side, I'm like, it's still a roster full of pretty good players, and they're still recruiting at a pretty high level. Like, I just feel like, Alex, you really need to take advantage of them this year. Like, you, it's your best shot in so long. You know, again, it's not an indictment on Beamer's program one way or another, no matter the result. But, and again, I, I guess that presents a really interesting storyline to me, Alex. I, I don't know. I'm a little conflicted on I'm a little back and forth. But the storyline surrounding this one, and the, really the opportunity, I think, that stands out for the Gamecocks is, is super intriguing going this game. So, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go on record and say I think the dynasty is more or less petered out at this point. Um, and two, like, all that pre- – like, we're not supposed to be here right now. Like, there isn't anybody in the country that thought we were going to be here right now playing you know or having a bowl game secured before the 12th game of the season on the flip side they're not playing for a conference title they were ranked top four coming into this season and that has all evaporated so this is this has become more or less their super bowl for the year and it is for us too but the difference is is like all of that pressure is not on us 
Like we're, we're not sitting here at five and six trying to get to a bowl game. We're, sit, we're sitting here at six and five, that bowl game secured, you know, win or not, like we're going to play in December. We're, we're, playing, playing, we're playing with house money, essentially. Basically, yes. And they're not. Because, like, while this season has exceeded expectations for us, this has been a big disappointment for them. And I think that puts us in a very advantageous position from a scheme standpoint where you're going to get everybody – you're going to get our absolute best shot, no holds barred. Yeah. When you phrase it that way, you know, it does make sense. I, I think maybe I did a poor job of wording as well. I, I guess I just look at this game as – you have such a good opportunity to beat them. I, I just, you'd love to see, I mean, of course, we all would, and stating the obvious, you'd love to see this team seize that, that opportunity. You know, I, I just, you wonder if the opportunity will be as good going forward. I, I guess if that makes sense. Again, I, and I don't want to make it sound like, oh, we, we're going to go back to what it was 2015 to 2019 or 2020 or whatever, but you have such a great opportunity this year at home, at night, that it, again, I, I don't want to use what I've been using for Florida and Auburn, like the stars align, quote-unquote, but you couldn't have asked for a better setup and a be- better scenario going in this ballgame than what you have. No, absolutely not. I just I, – and I don't disagree with that in the least bit. I just think that pressure is yeah. squarely on them and not on us. And, you know, you, you talk about getting a better opportunity going forward. You know, it, it, Clemson has been puzzling for this entire season. Mm-hmm. You know, you have these all-world recruiting classes for this amount of time. And somebody actually told me, actually made the best point I've heard about it. I think the problem that has reared its head for them is while they're getting a truckload of five stars and four stars, they're only getting like 15 of them when they should be signing 25. And so that really makes your miss percentage a whole lot higher than it otherwise would be. Mm-hmm. And it's like you you, hit, you start losing people to transfer portals. You start losing people to injuries. All of a sudden, that depth starts to evaporate, and I think that's what's happened. And unless you change that tactic, this is not going to be a recipe of success going forward. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, that, that's happened to them this season, especially you think of the injury bug. And, and uh, you know, you look at this game Saturday night, Alex, I, I feel like, without sounding like a broken record, which I probably will. I mean, it's, it's to me, it's simply going to come back to, you know, we feel pretty confident that you can get pressure on DJ Uyunglele, their, their starting quarterback. And I think if you do that, I think he has shown he's more than willing to make mistakes and, and he's, he's going to be out of his, you know, without some of his top, top options at wide receiver. And, you know, I, I think it comes down to the Carolina offense. I mean, the over-under in Vegas right now is 41, which – Goes to tell you, I mean, they are expecting a very low-scoring ball game. The spread, of course, opening up is Clemson is a 14-point favorite, which I, I thought was really aggressive. That number since dropped to 11. So, obviously, the money has been pouring in on South Carolina. But it just feels like another case, Alex, of, again, I'm extremely confident, feel good about this game. Again, you got them at home at night. You couldn't ask for a better scenario. Like you said, to a degree, you are pe- playing with a bit of house money. The pressure's on them. Um all about the line of scrimmage yet again. It's all about the line of scrimmage yet again. Can you get some sort of run game going? Don't ask Jason Brown to do too much. And when he gets the opportunity to throw the football and you have some one-on-ones and you have some scenarios where you can win matchups, be efficient with the football. Don't turn it over. Be the more disciplined football team. I, I think we all know at this point this team is going to play their guts out to get this win. But your overall outlook of this game, again, I, I feel like your confidence level is pretty high also going in this ball game. It is. I, I, I think we have this. This is the best chance we have to win this game since 2014. So you know they're they've they've started to figure it out here the last couple of weeks. Um, but they've been more or less a hot mess like we have been, um, albeit against more feeble competition. So you know we'll we'll. I mean I mean like truthfully like if you put like that Auburn team on the field versus Clemson, it's probably a pick 'em. I would guess right now. Maybe not. I, I could be wildly wrong on that. But, you know, I just like our chances with the you know winning the last two home games against Florida, Auburn. It's a night game. You know you're going to throw the kitchen sink at them. You know, they've wobbled this season. I think we've got them in the best possible spot to break the streak. I mean, I guess, I guess you could phrase it this way, Alex. And I, I ask 
I pose this question to everyone listening. And I mean, what scares you about Clemson this year? I mean, what 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 is there to be scared of? You know what I mean? It's, it's not that dynamic, explosive offense. Yes, they have talent defensively, but I mean, I look at it almost a lot like Auburn, where there's like there's really not a there's not something I look at and be like, man, that's just a terrible mismatch for us. Like, I think it's pretty evenly. It's a pretty even matchup across the board. Maybe I'm crazy for saying that, but that's at least how it feels going in this game. I 100% agree with you. I, there's not really anybody in there that scares me other and, than like Skalski shouldn't be playing because he's like 37 years old. And it feels good to be saying that. Honestly, it feels good to be saying that. It's healthy for the rivalry. The rivalry feels sort of back, if you will. And, I, you know, I talked over the summer about Shane Beamer making his first uh, – you know, putting his stamp on the rivalry. We all know how important that is and what Coach Spurrier did, right, with the jawing back and forth with Abbo Sweeney. But I'm very excited to see what Shane does because, I, I you know, he was a part of those staffs. He, he's beaten Clemson before. He knows just how important it is. He understands the importance of this rivalry and what it means to, this people, to the people of this state. Alex, it's been great. Last thing before I get you out of here, though, again, you have a very unique vantage point because you are in the upstate. Um, I know it's early in the week. Any... Any, do you have like a, a temperature gauge, a temperature check on the folks in the upstate and how they're feeling going into this ball game? Oh, they've all been checked out since they lost to NC State. Football like, season's you know, been over. Football season's been over. I mean, Pittsburgh was the final nail in the coffin. I mean, no, they've been they've been checked out on Clemson football for quite some time now. Love to hear that. Couldn't happen to a better group. <laughs> Could not happen to a better group of folks. Love to hear it. Love yeah. to hear it. Now, will that get stirred back up because it's rivalry week? Who could say? But, I mean, like, the, the general gist of it has been, like, I don't care about football anymore since the NC State loss. True. Well, Alex, I'll leave you with this. And like I told you in the, in, in the, in the pre-show, if you will, um, I'm on one this week. And I tell you what, it's, it's, it's a bad week to be a Tiger. It's a bad weekend to be livestock in the city of Columbia, South Carolina as well. So hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your sheep as well because Clemson fans are, <laughs> are coming to town, my friend. They're coming to town. Alex, always a pleasure, my guy. We'll do it again next week. And looking forward to it. If, if we might even get an Alex McGrath sighting at the at the tailgate this weekend, who knows? And if that happens, if that happens, I mean, you can just go ahead and guarantee the victory right there. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, five points will burn. Don't worry about it. <laughs> For sure, Alex. It's always a pleasure, my friend. We'll do it again same time next week. Sounds good, buddy. For Alex McGrath, I'm Chris Fultz. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. The story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.